Check, check. Good morning. Welcome to the last Sunday in the amphitheater. I refuse to wear shoes until next week. That's what you get when you grow up on the ocean. I'm a beach bum at heart. I don't care how cold it gets, I'm going to rebel. I'm going to continue to wear sandals until next week. But next week I'll look different. You all, uh, Mark called attention to the uh, cannabis sign, sponsor from last night. He asked me what uh, passage uh, the Bible we're going to be talking about today, and I said Revelation 21 and 22. He goes, that is awesome with the cannabis sign. You may need it if you've ever read Revelation. My goodness. Well, before we get there, let's take a look at the uh, bulletin board because we're getting ready to move back into the building, and there's some things that you should know. Uh, for those of you that are visitors, and this is your last Sunday, I'm sorry, you have to leave. It's, uh, if there is a purgatory, it's got to be someplace other than here, right? I like to tell people I spent four years going to school in Dallas, I've done my time. That's what I tell all the Texas people when I meet them. Can you tell we love to pick on Texas? We, they could take it. Because they could take it, exactly. <laughs> okay, the most important thing on here is the first thing listed. There's a potluck brunch today right up there after church. So you will want to come and eat and visit and talk and uh, say goodbye to the amphitheater. The uh, couple of them down, there's a DCC Hades medical dental mission trip coming up in February. So we have a meeting coming up September 20th. Uh, it says no medical or dental experience is necessary, but preferred. I'm so glad because I'm going on this trip. I wouldn't have a clue what to do in either of these categories. I hate doctors and dentists, equally alike. I do. My doctor, my dentist has been number one on my all-time hated list. He's also my best friend, by the way. But he's been number one on my all-time hated list until I had these two surgeries. I told him you moved to number two. <laughs> Ladies, take a look at all that's going on. Everything's starting up. You're just going to want to read it. Good stuff. Christian education, Bill Spears' class will continue. Um, <clears throat> this Wednesday, I'm starting a class. It's a survey of the New Testament, but we're specifically going to look at how Christ is presented by each of the New Testament books. What does the New Testament tell us about Christ? Um, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Frank Butler, where are you, Frank? Oh, he's standing right there. Standing up. He's the guy that greeted you coming down and handed you the bulletin. That's right. Tell him you love him. He's one of our elders. He's one of our elder elders, actually. And we love him. We just love him. Financial wizard. If you have struggled in any way with finances, go talk to Frank about this class. You know, I look back on life, and what are things I wish somebody had told me a long time ago that I, that I have learned the hard way? I wish somebody had told me when I was right out of high school, uh, go get some good financial planning. I wish somebody had told me that. So go see. Go see Frank. Lisa Best is teaching Who is God? So you, uh, there's all these classes. And then um, for the, we have two small groups starting that are intergenerational, that are kind of seasonal. Nancy and I are starting ours a week from tomorrow night, so if you want to be part of it, Go online and sign up or send me a text or whatever. And Tim and Linda Sealing are starting theirs a week from tonight. So we have two small groups starting for the fall. Okay, 
So that's what's going on. A lot of things, a lot of things happening, a lot of changes. Okay, we've had a we've had an interesting summer. We uh, we titled the series "Engaging God." We did that on purpose because um, it's easy to uh, to not really understand what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes we think of Him as you've heard me use these metaphors, a puppeteer. He's just controlling the strings, and we don't have any say in it. We don't like that. And sometimes he just seems to be gone. Where on earth did he go? Doesn't even seem to be present at all. So he seems to go from over control to no control. And we've been arguing that that's not really the way God engages us. He engages us always for our benefit, always to bless us and to help us. But along this journey, uh, we've looked at several things, haven't we? We looked at uh, Genesis 1, God creates. And uh, why did he create all this? Why? Why did he create everything you see out there? For us. That's how important we are. To give us a place to work, to give us a place to play, and to learn and see his glory. He made it for us. We talked about God loves to bless. God remembers. He never forgets. Sometimes he doesn't remember as quickly as we want him to, but he still remembers. God loves to test us. How else will your faith grow if he doesn't test? And so God does test us. That's how you know your faith is real. You can't tell if your faith is real if it's not tested. We talked about God is personal. He gave us his name. And God only gives us uh, his name because he loves us. In fact, when you think, it, we were just talking about on elders, when you think about it, even the imagery that we use to discuss God, although it's masculine, God is beyond gender. So why do we use masculine language? Well, we only have a choice, masculine or feminine. Because we are personal beings, we have to talk about God in personal language. That's female or male. Because if we called God it, you would never have a relationship with him. He's very personal. He tells us his name. He redeems us, Exodus 6. He's faithful. He's holy. He loves to reveal himself. And today we're going to talk about how God loves to renew all of these verbs show that he engages us throughout life and throughout the history of the world. Alongside of this, this summer, we've had quite a few things that we've prayed for. We had the earthquakes in uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, didn't we, and the surrounding region. We prayed for that several weeks, and I'll continue to keep, encourage you to continue to keep praying for that. The earthquakes are not stopping. They've had over 350 above 4.0, and they've had thousands below 4.0, since the big earthquake came. The earth is just trembling constantly, just constantly. Continue to pray for those people. I was there two weeks ago visiting with them, and the Christians and the pastors there and the people, uh, not just Christians, and got a glimpse of what was going on. Devastated country, devastated country. How long did it take us to clear ground zero with all the heavy equipment? A long time. They don't have any heavy equipment. They're doing it all manually by hand. It's going to take them decades. We also had helicopter crash, didn't we? That was hard on our co community. Many of you knew um, Patrick Mahaney, the pilot. And I hope that you're still praying for Dave Repture. I understand that he's still in critical condition and uh, trying to recover from a devastating, catastrophic crash. And uh, we stopped and prayed for them along the way, didn't we? We had, a, uh, we had a shooting in a black church back east, didn't we? We stopped and prayed for that. 
Several other things. Just each week, it seems like there's something, doesn't it? What does that tell us? We haven't figured it out yet. We haven't arrived. I've never met a person that said, Nirvana, you're looking at him. <laughs> never met a person that thought that way. If this is the best there is, wow, something's wrong. Intuitively, we all know there's something better, don't we? And that's how I want to conclude our time. We serve a God who loves to renew, loves to make things new. So I'm going to go to the very end of the Bible. We started at the very beginning, at the beginning of the summer. I'm going to go to Revelation 21 and 22. Some of this will be new for some of you, and some of it will be old hat. And I'm just going to read and walk you through this. John, when you read the book of Revelation, it's a spectacular book. Um, it's a unique genre or type of literature. It's not what we're used to. That's why many of you struggle with it. It's filled with incredible imagery, symbolism. Um, I had a friend tell me that John either was listening to the Lord or on LSD, one of the two, when he wrote this. And uh, there's some truth to that. It's, it's very challenging to try to make sense of this book. So we're going to look at the last two chapters and see what we learn about this God who loves to engage us. So John, he's in a vision. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. No longer a sea? An ocean? Wait a minute, I was raised on the ocean. I love the ocean. This isn't fair. We'll come back to that. I think he's talking about something different here. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. Something better than what we have. You could picture this, and it's only better. It's only better. Now, as we read down through this, what I want you to pay attention to is how earthly all of this language is how earthly all of it is. We've created this picture in the church where we die and go to heaven. Um, but yet, it's almost always, every place I know, pictured as coming to us. Emmanuel, God with us. So, if God created us for the earth, and Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? Earth. Pay attention to how earthly this sounds. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So there's this new city coming. Some of you have heard that language. And so we picture this city coming down to us. But it's a surprise. Because then he goes on and says, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride. Are we kind of mixing metaphors here? City's very impersonal. And yet, it's prepared, the city is prepared as a bride. Huh. I wonder what he means by that. The news, I thought we were the bride of Christ. But it's the city that's prepared as a bride. Beautifully dressed for her husband. Hmm. Beautifully dressed. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look. God's dwelling place is now, my translation says, among the people, and he will dwell with them. Ooh, maybe 
this new Jerusalem is a metaphor. Maybe it's telling us something about us. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Now, that's actually a plural in Greek. Don't use Greek very much, but it's important here. People in English can be singular or plural. So you might think of it this way. God's dwelling place is now among the peoples. I think this is a direct reference to Isaiah 25, where he talks about in the last days and the end times, on the mountain, he's going to gather all the peoples and he's going to give them a feast. It's going to be spectacular. You know what that says? God loves diversity. I don't care what your ethnic background is. God created you that way. One of the questions I've loved to ask in the classroom all the time is, when you get to heaven, what color are you going to be? Most of the classes I've taught have been predominantly Caucasian. So the answer is going to be Caucasian, but then they become acutely aware of the person next to them that's not Caucasian. Hmm. What color are we going to be? What language are you going to speak? It's got to be American. <laughs> right? It's just got to be English. American English on top of that. Until you start visiting other countries and different ethnic groups. And then when you look in Revelation, you find the phrase several times, every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language is found in this new earth. That tells us that God did this on purpose. This is not an accident. This is a wonderful, wonderful piece of Christianity. We are made to be different because that's how we learn from each other. That's how we learn and grow. When I listen to you tell me your story of God, guess what? My view of God gets bigger and bigger the more I listen. When I travel over to Nepal and I've crossed every boundary there is to cross, and they talk about God in their language, they have a very different way of expressing their relationship with God. And it's just delightful. This was on purpose. This wasn't by accident. So God's dwelling place is now among the people's and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. By the way, that's also in Isaiah 25, when he gathers the peoples. He's going to take care of all the crying. He's going to wipe away all the tears. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I can't really imagine what this is going to be like, except that it's going to be a lot better going to be a lot better. No longer are we going to be shedding tears for people in other countries that die from earthquakes or poverty. No longer are we going to be shedding tears for our own people that die in accidents. No longer are we going to be shedding tears for people that are hurt through divorce. You name it, whatever it is, that's going to go away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. There it is. God loves to make things new. What, is, what do we learn from the Corinthian epistles? If you believe in Christ, you are part of the new creation already. You are already renewed. Still got the same old body. I hate it. I hate getting older. Some of you were here three weeks ago, whenever it was when I was preaching, and I lost my train of thought. Couldn't, exact, couldn't remember a thing I was saying up here. 
So I looked over at Mark and put him on the spot and said, Mark, what was I talking about? <laughs> the best thing to do is throw yourself under the bus when that happens. <laughs> so I said, all the education in the world doesn't help you when you get older. It just doesn't. But we're part of the new creation. I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is done. Similar to the words of Christ on the cross, it is finished. When Christ died, he secured atonement. He secured forgiveness. When God is finished, everything is redeemed. Not just us. All of creation, everything. Pollution, all the things that go with brokenness. The end of brokenness is right here future to us, but we're, do, we're seeing a picture of it. It is done. I am the, um, uh, the Alpha and the Omega. So here he starts a series of words where he just connects himself with Jesus so closely. Now remember, we're studying God the Father. We're not studying Jesus. He connects himself with Jesus so closely that they are inseparable. Or as Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's what he talked about in the beginning of Revelation. Jesus said he was the Alpha and the Omega. God says, I'm the beginning and the end. Jesus says, he's the beginning and the end. God says, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus said in John 4 to the Samaritan woman, I have water that I will give you, that you'll never thirst again. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. No matter what you think about the future, you cannot say that the author of Revelation holds to universalism. This is one of the places where he makes it clear he does not hold to that. But what he's trying to communicate is this place, this new heaven, this new earth, our home, is going to be without brokenness. Now be careful how you apply this. Because it's easy to say, well, I'm not a murderer. Wrong. Jesus said, if you have hated a brother and sister, you've already committed murder in your hearts. So, how many murderers do we have? Every one of you. So what's he talking about here? Who are these people? Hmm. He goes on. One of the seven angels, Revelation 17, 1, he talks about one of the seven angels who took John to see Babylon, to see the world as it was and all of its corruption. But now he takes him to see the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He carried me away, verse 10, to this, in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It's still pictured as coming to us. All right, that's what it... God's always pictured as coming to us. This is our home. This is our home. So, he's, so John's had a contrast. He's seen the world. You guys have seen the world, right? You've seen the destruction, the chaos, the pollution, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the poverty. The list goes on and on and on. We've all experienced it. In fact, that's all we know. That's all we know. And now he's giving him a glimpse of what eternity looks like. This new Jerusalem, who is the bride, that's us, by the way. It's a metaphor for us. It's shown with the glory of heaven from God. 
It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. I've read this language several times, and I wonder, how in the world would you communicate something perfect when we live in an imperfect world? How would you do that? It has a great high wall with the 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Revelation 3, he says to those who overcome, he will write the name of this new city on our hearts. So he likes to put names out there. So you have the 12 gates with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall in the city had 12 foundations. And on, them were the na- on those foundations were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have the 12 tribes of Israel and you have the 12 apostles. You know what that tells us? This is talking about the redeemed humanity within Judaism and within the rest of the world. Because where did the apostles go? To the rest of the world. They scattered all around the world. In fact, isn't that the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's what the apostles did. They scattered around. So this city has the names to remind us that it's all of the different ethnic groups involved. It is the people of God. That's who it is. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, its walls. The city was laid out like a square. Now don't fall asleep yet. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. So apparently it's a big cube. Whatever the stadia is, 12,000 long, 12,000 wide, 12,000 high. Well, we could translate that into our current way of measuring, but we would lose something. It's around 1,500 miles, by, by the way. 1,500 miles wide, deep, tall, the city. Now, remember, the city is a metaphor for us, people of God. I don't know this, but I think that 12,000 is a reference to the 144,000 earlier in Revelation, because when you get 12,000 times 12,000, you get 144 million. What he's saying is there's plenty of space for every single person. It doesn't matter what your background is. What your background is. But then look at the wall surrounding it. It was 144 cubits thick. That's about 70 yards. 72 yards. So you have a city that's 1,500 miles high, and you have a wall that's 200 feet. What is that telling us? In the ancient world, they would have never conceived of this. Every wall, every city had a wall to protect it. You couldn't get through the wall. That's how you know you were safe. And so if the city is 1,500 miles high and the wall is only 200 feet, that's a statement that we don't really need it. We're safe. There's no more brokenness. And then he goes on to describe all the different, the, the different stones and jewels, what it's made of. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Didn't have a city in the ancient Near East without a temple. You didn't have a city without a temple. Every city had a temple of something. Today when you go to third world countries that have, believe in many gods, you find temples. When I was in Nepal three weeks ago, uh, 
where I stayed with the president of the Bible College right across the street. They built a little Buddhist temple and strung flags and connected and prayer flags to their, their uh, fence. So I asked them, was that on purpose? And they laughed and said, of course it was on purpose. They built a little temple right across the street. There's no temple. What does that tell us? There's no more division between secular and sacred. The entire city is holy. That's us, folks. We are called the spiritual temple. God has finally done it. He's finally broken down that last barrier, and he lives with us. There's no need for a temple now. There is no need. We have God Almighty living with us. Emmanuel, what does that mean? God with us, right? God with us. The, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There you have the Father and Christ connected again. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives us light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Wow, listen to that. The nations, plural. How many of you have been to another country? How many of you have met a person from a different country, whether you've gone to one or not? All the nations are going to be present. Is there a more beautiful picture? I don't think there is. All the nations. I travel a lot, as you know. I've been seen many places around the world. Every place I go, I love the people that are there. I just love them. All the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Okay, he started the chapter by saying there's no sea. Now he gets to the end and said there's no night. Those are the two places in Israel's history where chaos and disorder appeared. Nighttime, they brought that with them from the Egyptians. The Egyptians believed that the sun god Ra rose every morning and created, brought order to the world. At the end of the day, it would disappear into the netherworld. Everything would go back into chaos. That's why this Bible's filled with imagery of light and darkness, and darkness is never a place we want to be. But on top of that, the ocean, the sea, was a place of chaos as well. Israelites didn't have a navy. Maybe Peter's request of Jesus to walk on the water was something other than a miracle. Maybe it has something to do with overcoming the fear of chaos and terror. So he starts this by describing there's no sea, and he concludes by ending there's no night. Those are the two places where, in the ancient world, they would have found chaos. It's safe. That's what he's saying, it's safe. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So there you go, you have the picture of the nations coming and going out of the city. And they're making things. What did God make us for? Why are we created? Genesis 1, 26. Let us make humans in our image so that they may rule over the fish of the sea. You know the rest of the verse. He made us to work. That's, what, that's where we find our greatest satisfaction when we're accomplishing something. It's not going to stop. Heaven isn't a place you go where it's an eternal church service. 
shoot me now, put me out of my misery. <laughs> I love you, Mark, but sometimes I want to get out in Jeep. <laughs> and we have managed to teach a lot of our people that heaven is an eternal church service. It's far bigger than that. It's a restoration of what we are created to be. We are created to work and to enjoy life. And there it is. The nations and the kings are coming and going and they're bringing their glory and their honor into the city. But nothing impure will ever enter it. For will, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. By the way, over in chapter 22, and verse 14, he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't you know that adulterers, liars, greedy people, homosexual people, he lists a whole bunch of things. They're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And he said, that's what you used to be, but you've all been washed. Your behavior is not the, is, is, is not the main thing anymore. You've been washed. You've been regenerated. So blessed are those who are washed. So nothing impure will ever enter this city. If you know Jesus, you have been washed. I don't care what your behavior looks like. You've been washed and regenerated. You get to enter it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There they are again, God and Jesus, Father and Jesus, right next to each other. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So this city... It has this picture of this great avenue going down the middle of it with a river, a river flowing, river of the water of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now remember when I read this next sentence that we're in this new Jerusalem. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Healing of the nations? What's that about? Apparently, the healing process continues. The need for healing is not the same as brokenness. Brokenness is the cause for the need for healing. When brokenness is dealt with, apparently, we have trees there that are going to help us bring about healing because we still have to heal all the whole person. And to me, this communicates that God is interested in the whole person, all of you, every part of you. I can't wait to see what it's actually like. I have a feeling when I can get there, I'm going to say, wow, mess that one up. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb, there they are again together, Father and Son, will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. Remember last week, the passage, John 1? No one has ever seen God at any time. Remember what Jesus, I mean, what God said to Moses in Exodus 33? No one can see my face or they will die. And what happens here? We'll see his face. You know what this tells me? Jesus is right there with us. We call that the hypostatic union. I love that. It's about as impersonal as you can get for a theological term. Fully God, fully human, united in one body forever. We talked about that last week. God loves us so much 
He's willing to spend an eternity with us. Or let me say it this way. God created us in his image. And then he became our image so that we could transform back into his image. And what does it mean to be transformed into the image of Christ? It means to become a true human, which you were created for all along. To be generous, to be loving, to be compassionate, to be gracious, to be all those things that we all long to be and struggle on the best of days to become. We get to see God's face because Jesus is standing right there with us. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign. They will reign forever and ever. We're back at the very beginning, exercising dominion over a creation. That's why I believe in environmentalism and creation care. I'm a Christian. It's at the very core of my theology. God gave us all this to enjoy and to take care of it. And we will work it and we will reign. So in this new place, this brilliant city that's humongous and safe and gorgeous and beautiful, that's a metaphor for us. It is a place. The new earth is a place. We were created for this right here. And we'll enjoy this forever. The difference is God will be with us face to face through his son Jesus. We'll see him. We have a God who didn't forget us. He could have just thrown it all out and started over again. I have a feeling if he'd started over again, he would have had the same mess. Something inside of us loves to rebel. We want to be in control. He figured out a better way. It's called redemption. To redeem us. To forgive us. If you don't know where you are with Jesus, I get that. Honestly, it took me three years of really wrestling before I became a Christian. Three long, hard years. There's no hurry. Keep thinking about it. In just a few moments, we're going to uh, celebrate communion. And uh, if you don't know where you are with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come down and just watch. I've had people come down and stand right here with me and just watch what happens. Because communion is a time where we express our confession that we believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you love to engage. You engage us in all that happens in our life in so many ways. Thank you for your blessings, for your faithfulness. Thank you for for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for never forgetting your promise, but always remembering and fulfilling it. Thank you for coming back for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming. And thank you that in the final analysis, the end of the period of brokenness and the beginning of the period of eternity, we see just a glorious place to be a place where you live with us in wonder and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite the ushers to come down and take our offering.